The reading today will be from Ruth 4, uh, verses 7 through 17 in the Common English Bible. In Israel, in former times, this was the practice regarding redemption and exchange to confirm any such matter. A man would take off his sandal and give it to the other person. This was the process of making a transaction binding in Israel. Then the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, and he took off his sandal. Boaz announced to the leaders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malan, and also Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to preserve the dead man's name for his inheritance, so that the name of the dead man might not be cut off from his brothers or from the gate of his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord grant that the woman who is coming into your household be like Rachel and be like Leah, both of whom built up the house of Israel. May you be fertile in Ephrathath, and may you preserve a name in Bethlehem. May your household be like the household of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the children that the Lord will give you from this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He was intimate with her. The Lord let her become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, May the Lord be blessed, who today hasn't left you without a redeemer. May his name be proclaimed in Israel. He will restore your life and sustain you in your old age. Your daughter-in-law, who loves you, has given birth to him. She's better for you than, for the, than seven sons. Naomi took the child and held him to her breast, and she gave, became his guardian. The neighborhood women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They called his name Obed. He became Jesse's father and David's grandfather. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Russ. So this morning we're starting a new worship series. For a few weeks we're going to take a life, a look at the life of King David. We're going to survey his life and what it means for him to become what is proclaimed to him, a person who has the heart of God. For those of us that read the Bible in various ways and, and, and across the different genres of the material, when you get to Acts, the book of Acts, we know that it records many different things in Acts. And Part of that is the journeys of Paul. On one of those journeys, Paul and Barnabas found themselves at a synagogue on the Sabbath, and they went in to enjoy worship after reading of the law and the prophets took place. An open invitation from the elders was given for anyone to deliver a sermon. And, of course, Paul, a good preacher, stood up and started to deliver a sermon. He began by recounting the story of God and the chosen people of Israel in his sermon. He spoke of their history, beginning with the exodus from Egypt. He talked about the granting of land that God gives them and its conquering. And then he talks about how the people desired a king to be over them and how Saul became their first king in Israel. But Saul was one who let power and authority go to his head and as such he lost God's favor. If you remember the story, while Saul was king, God sent Samuel the prophet to anoint a new king. Do you remember the king's name? Young David, right? 
He was anointed to be the next king while Saul was still the king. And, and in this story, Paul says that God proclaims that David is a man after God's own heart. I always wonder where those phrases come up, and I have to go searching through the Bible to find out where it is that these kinds of phrases come up, that that became a part of the tradition for the church to understand that this man, David, was a person who had the heart of God, a heart like God's, and that that becomes a theme for David and for his life. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to take a survey of David's life to see how it is that he becomes that person, a person with the heart of God, so that it might influence us as people who also want to have the heart of God in our lives. Now I want you to take a moment with me and and just think about people who were influential in your life. What is it that they taught you or are teaching you? What is it that they handed on to you, especially when it comes to your faith journey? I've told you all my story many times. Most of you know that I am the oldest of five siblings, right? I'm the oldest child. My nearest sibling is my brother, Jerry. We call him J.D. He is one year, one month, and one day younger than I am. My parents had two boys under the age of two before they were 20. Could you imagine? Pull your hair out, right? You got your hands full with one, amen? Right? Imagine being less than 20 and having two boys running all over the house. There's only nine and a half years or so between my youngest brother and myself. So by their late 20s, they had five kids running around the house. I'm not sure what they were thinking, but they had five kids. Both my parents worked, as you all know. My dad was a computer operator for what used to be Armco Steel here in Kansas City. Spent 26 years working for them. Then later he went to work for a computer mailing house, mailing out different things for them. My mom was in commercial insurance. When I was a young kid, my parents moved around a lot, and so did we kids, because my parents rented. They didn't buy their first house until 1972 when they bought the one in Grandview that all of us kids graduated from high school from, and my parents kept for many, many years after that. As I think of our life, we were not impoverished by any means, but we didn't have a lot either. And so when I think about what it was that my parents handed on to me, this is what my parents handed on to me. If you want something, you've got to earn the money for it. Right? That's what they taught me. Now, my first lesson came while my parents were renters living at Lake Tapawingo. How many of you know where Lake Tapawingo is? Out towards Independence Blue Springs area here in Kansas City, right? When I was a small kid, I wanted a toy sailboat that had a string that I could pull along the, in the lake As I walked around the dock, I wanted to be able to pull it through the lake behind me and be able to play with it. But my parents didn't have the money for me to be able to have that small sailboat. I had to figure out how to earn the money to be able to buy it. So my parents would take us down to the pecan fields outside of Nevada. And they'd knock these big old things into the trees. The pecans would come down and you'd run around with a five-gallon coffee can and you'd fill it up to the top. You'd take it into the old nut company that used to be in Nevada, and they'd pay you by the pound for the amount of nuts that you collected. It took me several times of doing that to finally earn the money to be able to buy my sailboat, but I finally bought my sailboat. The weather turned nice. My dad went down to the dock with me. I launched my boat into the water and got to walk it around the dock. 
Not long after that, my parents moved. But not to another lake community. So I wound up with a sailboat that I had no idea what I was going to do with, right? My second lesson came when I wanted to drive. My sophomore year of high school, I played baseball, got a chance to do that. But it came to junior year, I turned 16, I wanted to drive. My parents looked at me and said, if you want to drive, you've got to be able to pay for your gas and insurance, right? If you want to be able to drive. So much for high school baseball, because I wanted to drive, right? So I got a job. And then my senior year, the lesson continued. Now, I remember my senior year of high school on that day, hair was a little bit longer, talking late 70s. Bell bottoms were in style. Wavy earth shoes, if you remember those, right? How many of you remember the printed polyester shirts? They had some kind of theme on them, right? And leisure suits. How many of you are so thankful that the 80s have not come back around when it comes to fashion? Amen, right? Everything except for the leisure suits. My dad liked leisure suits, but all the rest of it was not his style, not his fashion. So if I wanted bell-bottoms or shoes, I had to earn the money to buy them, right? And I think about that. My parents taught me a level of independence. They also taught me the value of buying things when you had the cash to be able to buy things, the Lessons about credit debt came much later in life. So for each of you, think back. Who are your formative role models in your life? What did they teach you about life? Did they teach you things about the value of schooling and career? About dating or relationships? Family traditions that they wanted to hand on to you? Was it something to do with work and how to make it in the world around you? But I also want to ask you, did it include anything about your spirituality? Particularly your journey in God's grace and to become a person who seeks after God's own heart. You know, as I read scriptures, I sometimes take a moment to ponder human dynamics. I I think about the interactions of people in scripture. How they might have felt about things that were transpiring or how they navigated the world in which they existed. Their experience with faith and those who had influence on them. And I think about the story of Ruth and ultimately of David and I wonder about the influence that Ruth might have had through her progeny down to David and how that transpired. I think most of us are are fairly familiar with the story of Ruth, but just in case, here's the Reader's Digest version of it. We all know that it's a Hebrew recording of what began as an oral family story. It was an oral tradition for a long time. It's about a family that left Bethlehem because of a famine. They journeyed to a land called Moab where they found food and security, so they stayed there. Elimelech and his wife Naomi, they had two sons named Chilion and Malon. When the two boys came of age, they married two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. But as the story goes, the father and the two sons all die in Moab, leaving Naomi destitute as a widow, no male heir to provide her safety and security. She tells her two daughters-in-law that they could go home to their families of origin, By custom, that was available to them since they had no children. They could go back to their families and they could remarry another male person so that they could have families. Now, one of the the daughters-in-law, Orpah, takes her mother-in-law's advice and she goes back to her family. But Ruth does not. 
Ruth proclaims fidelity to Naomi. You might recall these words where she says, Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there, I will be buried. Any of you ever heard that at a wedding before? You might recall those kinds of words of fidelity being said between two people. Well, it starts here with Ruth and her proclamation to Naomi to be faithful. So Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem. And if you continue reading the story, security is gained for Ruth through marriage. This security extends to Naomi as well. Naomi is granted an heir through Ruth and their redeemer Boaz in this young child, Obed. And near the end of the story, you read a genealogy that is recorded for all. It reaches back in Boaz's family line to Judah and Tamar, reaches forward in Boaz's line to Obed, Jesse, and ultimately David. Now, obviously, if you look at the book of Ruth, we we know that it's not written during Ruth's lifetime. And it is not a biography. It is a family story. Remember, this is a family telling their story, their line of ancestry. Think about this, though. Think about if Ruth and David's lives intersected in any way. I I think about that. I was privileged to know my great-grandmother on my dad's side of the family, to have interaction with her in a way that formed and and shaped my faith. I wonder about Ruth and David. Most commentators will tell you that it probably was not something that happened for the two of them, just simply because in that time, ancient times, people didn't live long enough to see multiple generations of their family. So more than likely, Ruth and David's lives did not intersect, but somehow, some way, I see Ruth's life impacting David's as a person who had certain characteristics in her own life. I see Ruth as a story of persistence because Ruth herself is a persistent person. You think about turmoil in this family story, loss of food, loss of security, loss of hope, the fullness that should come in marriage and children is also lost. But in Ruth's story, you also see strength of commitment to remain with Naomi. The willingness to listen to Naomi's counsel and advice to do what she tells her to do. To persist after a stranger that would become also their redeemer. To call favor from him in such a way that it provides security not only for Ruth herself, but for Naomi, her mother-in-law as well. To be able to persist through these trials and these tribulations when it could have been so easy for her simply to give up and go home, Ruth persists through. And I see this being handed on through the family, filtering its way down to David because David becomes a man who will persist through many different things in his own life, his own ups, his own downs. A man to be shaped as one who has the heart of God. When it comes to your spiritual journey, I wonder if you are persisting in your pursuit to become the person God has in mind for you. In life, I think many of us think about a variety of different things. I think about legacy as one of the aspects of my own life. I'm over the hump and on the downhill slide towards some things, you know. As a friend of mine said once, if you think you're getting out of this alive, you're fooling yourself. Ultimately, all of us will come to our last days. And 
you begin to think about a variety of things in your life. For me, it's legacy. I think about the legacy that I'll leave my children and my grandchildren, hopefully even my great-grandchildren, especially when it comes to faith and a faithful witness. I wonder about you. What is it that you're pursuing as your legacy to leave for those that you have the ability to influence? I know that not all of us have children, grandchildren or great-grandchildren, but I believe that all of us are people of influence. We have people in our network who are watching who we are and what we are becoming, and I wonder if we're becoming the person that God wants us to be, Christ-centered, God-filled, people with the heart of God that share it with the world. Because here's the heart of God as I understand it. I believe that God is persistent when it comes to each one of us, that God's love is steadfast and faithful, pursues every single one of us for this mutual relationship of love, that God will not leave or forsake any of us, even at the times when we feel like God is really distant from us. Richard Rohr in his meditation this week said this. He said, God's faithfulness has never been dependent on our worthiness or our readiness. That God is always there overcoming our obstacles, our objections to the relationship, pursuing us constantly for a relationship of love, that we might become the people that God envisions us to be, steadfast and faithful ourselves, ones who are persistent in our faith journey to share that witness with others. So let me ask you, are you persistent in pursuing the heart of God? Are you persistent in sharing God's love with others? Does your heart reflect God's heart today? Here's the things that I hope that you'll take away from this moment, just maybe some conversation points for later with your family and friends. But but to be reminded that we've all been shaped by people that are important to us. They have taught us a variety of things about life. And the thing that God desires for us to know today and to live into is the persistent love of God that is for each and every one of us and that is for the world and to let our hearts be shaped and formed by this so that we might persist in sharing it with the world around us. So here's your invitation for today. To think and to ask yourself, how are you being shaped today so that you might have a heart like God's? What are your particular spiritual practices? What are your genuine godly actions in the world that are forming and shaping you to have God's heart and to express it? Or to think of it this way, who are you influencing in your life to have a heart like God's? Will you join me now in a moment of prayer? Merciful and gracious God, we thank you for this moment that we can gather together as a community to think about the life of David and how it might have been influenced by his great-grandmother Ruth and to see in her this persistent character, to see how that persistence might become a family trait and theme that can flow into David's life as well. To be reminded of those who have been faithful in their sharing of their witness to us, who have formed and shaped us as characters who follow you. But to also ask you, O God, to continue to form and shape us. That by the power of your Spirit, you might draw us closer to you. That our hearts might melt into your heart to become yours. 
so that we might go into the world and share your love and your grace that is for all people. To lay down the objections to this, our judgmentalism, and to see all people as ones that you love and care for are of worth to you. Shape us, O God, to have your heart and use us to be an influence for the generations to come that their hearts might be shaped for yours as well. All these things we pray in the name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to invite